This morning's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Overhearing what they had said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you with all honesty this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we look at such a difficult topic... I pray that your peace would be with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm just... Andy's pointing at something. Oh, it's on, apparently. So we'll see how it goes. Can you all hear me? All good. Well, good morning. Um, let me start by adding my welcome to you again. Uh, my name's Aidan, as Joe said. Uh, I'm the curate here, still relatively new. And... Uh, Someone this week said, uh, you know, you've got this topic of unanswered prayer that you've got. Joe's been really mean to you. Um, but, um, no, in reality, surprisingly, maybe because I was sleep deprived, I volunteered to do this. Because uh, we've been looking at a whole bunch of questions uh, about prayer. You know, we're looking at different types of prayer. And this morning, we are looking at unanswered prayer. Um, and people who know me will know that I try and see the funny side of life. Uh, try and make everything into a joke a little bit. But what I want to share this morning does come from a place of struggle. Um, the reason why I volunteered to do this topic is it's something I've journeyed with over quite a few years, uh, pretty much since the moment I became a Christian. 
And I really pray and hope that as I share some of these uh, reflections that I've got, that hopefully this would minister to you in some way, shape or form. Now, there are several directions we could go with uh, unanswered prayer, but for me and my experience, the most pressing issue comes with the question of healing. Why does God heal sometimes, but not others? You know, you see, I believe that God is, in his nature, a healing God. He is someone who loves to heal. Uh, and, And in my journey, I have seen people miraculously healed in churches and at Christian events. I've known a bit of healing myself, uh, and that's incredible. But the reality is that despite all the prayer in the world, often God doesn't heal. We all know that. You know, we've all prayed for someone uh, to just get better. Even if the prayer is just, please God, no. And we've all known that, you know, sometimes people are still ill, they're still struggling, and we've all known people who've passed away. So as we think about unanswered prayer and this question of healing, why God heals and doesn't, uh, I want to focus on two things. Firstly, I want to speak to our heads and do some theology, um, and and that will be the bulk of my sermon. I want to really establish a good theological foundation, and I think that's really important to do because I have known people who've lost faith uh, in God because their base understanding of who God is and what he does is off. So we're going to speak to chat to their heads, and then I'm going to speak to hearts, okay? And we're going to speak to our, the, the reality and the feelings and the emotions of living in a place where we see some people healed. We have some prayers answered and others not. Does that sound good? Okay, that's clear. So Christians and theologians have debated this subject about why God does or doesn't answer prayer, why he does and doesn't heal. Uh, they've, done, they've debated it throughout the centuries. It isn't simple at all. And in no way can I do more than just kind of scratch the surface. But I want to give you my, my opinion that I've come to through reading the Bible, through journeying with other Christians, uh, and journeying and wrestling with God. And when it comes to the question of why does God heal and why doesn't he at times, I think there's two obvious options. So option one, God's will is always to heal, but sometimes he isn't powerful enough. You know, I know Christians who believe this, who, uh, you know, they might not express it this way, but essentially they think that God hasn't got the power to intervene at times. And it's no surprise that I have some issues with this idea. You know, simply because if God isn't God, like, if God isn't able to do something, then he isn't God. He's not sovereign. He's not the God that he and the Bible claims him to be. So, So I have an issue with that. So that one doesn't work. Option two is the reverse of that. So God is all-powerful, but his will isn't always to heal. Now, that is a conservative understanding of theology. That's an understanding of God. Uh, Strict Calvinists would believe this, that sometimes God's will isn't to heal, and that maybe because God doesn't heal someone, he he doesn't do it because he has a greater purpose in mind. He he wants to bring about some greater purpose through their suffering. Uh, And do you know what? We have to do is just trust that God will, will you know, bring about something. Now, I believe that God uses all things for the good of those who love him. I believe that he works through suffering, as it says in Romans 8. But using something and causing it are different. And I think to say that God's will is to cause suffering because his will isn't to heal is problematic. So is there a third option? Well, I, I say there is, uh, and I'm going to try and build a case for option number three. So option three, it starts by saying that God is all-powerful. You know, in other words, God is God. He is sovereign. 
God is all-powerful. And then it continues that God's will is always to heal. Now, sometimes I'm pretty sure that it's God's will to not answer certain prayers as we want them. You know, if we had every wedding couple have their prayers answered and had a sunny day, then we'd have universal drought, wouldn't we? (laughs) And there's various other ways in which I think God sometimes doesn't answer prayers. But when it comes to healing and this question of healing... I believe that it's always God's will to heal. And where do I get this from? Well, there are three places in the Bible where God's will is perfectly demonstrated, where it unfolds very clearly. First is this, it's Genesis 1 and 2 in the Garden of Eden. And the second one is is kind of similar. It's the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. And it's at both ends of the Bible, the beginning and the end of the Bible. And they both show us what it's like when God's will is perfectly done. And there's no sin. See, in both, there's no suffering, no pain, no grief, no death. God's will is for wholeness and fullness in life. And that's what we see in both the beginning and the end. And the third example, the one in the middle is key. It's the, the example of God's will unfolding is the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, anyone who reads the Gospels, I don't know about you, but I'm just amazed by the stories of healing that just happen again and again and again around Jesus. Mark 5, our chapter that Matt read to us, is is, just one half chapter. And in that moment, you have a, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, just touch the cloak of Jesus and she gets healed. And then you have a child who's died, raised to life. Incredible stories of healing. And it just goes on and on. You know, if you keep reading, you you see blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, lame people walking, and lepers being cleansed. This is just going off all around Jesus. Healing happens all over the place. And if we think that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the will of God perfectly demonstrated, he is the visible image of the invisible God, as it says in Colossians, then we have to conclude from this that God's will is to heal. Because I don't know about you, but can you find any example in the Bible of the, of the stories of Jesus where he says to someone, you know, I would heal you, but actually I've got a greater truth that I want to bring through your suffering. I don't see that happening. Do I believe that God brings about his will through suffering? Yes, I do. But again, that is different to causing it. He redeems suffering and works in it somehow. But God's will is not to cause suffering in the first place. God's will is always to heal. So option three, if we go back to that, in full, it says, God is all-powerful. His will is always to heal, but his will isn't always done. His will isn't always done. Now, that might sound bizarre, that an all-powerful God might not have his will done. So let me explain what I mean. And to do that, let's go back to Genesis again, the beginning in particular Genesis 3. You see, when God created us, he didn't want to create robots who just automatically did everything he said. No, he, he gave us the gift of free will out of his love. And God loves us so much and only wants the best for us. And his will is for us to do the things that he asks. His will is for us to choose to love him back because in doing so, there is fullness of life. But he gives us the choice to reject that reject that will and go against it and that's what happened in the garden of eden adam and eve you know they have the choice to obey god's will and they basically say not your will lord but ours and they disobey it they eat the fruit they 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 go against the will of god so 
if a picture of relationship between hu- human beings and God, heaven and earth, heaven and earth in the Garden of Eden are like this. They're together. Belinda Carlyle was, of course, right when she said, ooh, heaven is a place on earth. <laughs> Some of you don't know Belinda Carlyle, clearly. <laughs> I'm not singing. Um, <laughs> but the idea of heaven being God's fluffy place in the clouds with pearly gates and chocolate rivers and heart music 24-7, you know, it's a lovely idea, that v- vision of heaven, but it's, it's from Greek philosophy, and it has nothing to do with the scriptural version of heaven. Because in Genesis, this is what heaven is like. Heaven is, you know, Eden is heaven on earth. God walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. And his will is being done perfectly. But what happens when sin enters is you have the created order breaking down. And you see heaven and earth, they're wrenched apart. And they're separated. As Adam and Eve reject the will of God and say, not your will but mine... There's a separation between heaven and earth that just shouldn't be there and they're thrown out of the Garden of Eden. But before they do, in Genesis 3.15, God states straight away that this isn't going to be how it ends. This is not the end of the story. And throughout every part of the Old Testament, God promises his will that he is going to solve this problem. His will is to restore and redeem and heal creation and bring heaven and earth back together. And see, it starts with Abraham and Sarah, you know, in Genesis 12. He heals a barren woman and he prophesies, uh, sorry, he promises an old man without any children that he's going to be the father of many nations. And you see, heaven touches earth for one couple. Then the nation of Israel is born and he rescues and restores them from Egypt. And the amazing thing is he dwells amongst them. He lives, the the presence of God resides in the temple in the middle of the people of Israel. And heaven and earth are one step closer because the temple is the place where heaven and earth collide. Then we jump forward to the New Testament and, and the Gospels and we find that the meeting place between heaven and earth is in Jesus. Jesus refers to himself as the temple, a new temple, a greater, a greater than the, the old temple. And he is God with us. When he's born, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. And because heaven and earth are closer together, the will of God is breaking out everywhere around Jesus. That is why we have so much healing and so many miraculous healings, because it's heaven breaking out amongst creation. There is this overlap, you see, that gets closer and closer. And in the New Testament, Paul writes that we are temples, believers are temples of the Holy Spirit. See, Israel knew that God was for them. When Jesus was, pray- was born, they praised God with us. But now it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. But heaven is not yet fully here. God's will is not yet fully done. You know, sin is still a real thing. It's still at work. And heaven and earth, while there's a lot of overlap, they are not exactly like they're going to be in Revelation 21, you know, where where heaven and earth are once again joined fully. Theologians call this this overlap. Theologians call it the, the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Heaven is here on earth, but here on earth, both now but not yet fully. And there's clearly a tension between that statement. How can heaven be here but not? Whilst we see some cases of miraculous healings, what it looks like is we don't see full healing. We don't see everything eternally. You know, Jesus, with all his stories of healing, everyone who got healed one day suffered again. You know, they got ill again. 
Lazarus and the little girl from our passage, bless them, they died twice. (laughs) And it is the same now. You know, I've known people with crippling back pain get miraculously healed only fairly recently later to get a dodgy knee. You know, heaven is here now, but not yet. There's a tension in this place. In one sense, we are free from sin. It goes through everything. In one sense, we are free from sin and we are new creations in Christ. Yet, we also feel pain and suffering and we still see the, the, the outworking of the fall. So that's the theology. It's quite a lot in there, I know. And that's quite a broad sweep, but hopefully that gives this idea of the now and the not yet is kind of in our mindsets. And I hope it explains sometimes why I believe that God heals sometimes and not others. So to finish, I want to very briefly speak to our hearts and what it's like to live in that place of the now and the not yet, with some prayers being answered and others not. And again, I I just can't do anything more than lightly skim the surface. Um, But actually, I think that's okay, because I think the best place for us to explore this is not from a pulpit, it's with each other. It's journeying together, having, you know, in small groups, in, you know, people you might pray with, people you might just chat with, just have a conversation about the real life tension of living in this place. But a couple of recommendations uh, for you. Um, Pete Gregg's book that we've been using throughout this series, How to Pray, it has a great chapter on unanswered prayer. Uh, it's not just dealing with healing, he does talk about it, but, but unanswered prayer as a whole. Um, he's also done a whole book on that concept called God on Mute, uh, which is brilliant, and it's born out of the experience he had with his wife getting cancer. Uh, alternatively, you could go listen to our most recent podcast episode. I know I always bang on about it, but this one is really good. <laughs> um, we did it with Angie and Laura. We looked at what does it mean to be a Christian who works in healthcare. And uh, we had a real, really good discussion, and they were amazing. I just kind of pressed record and just listened. It was brilliant, where they just discussed about the reality of living, believing in a loving God, but also witnessing suffering in their day-to-day lives. So I really recommend you go find that. It's on our website, or you can find it by looking for Learning to Live the Life on podcast apps. Also this evening, we have our spirit space service, as Joe said, and we're going to have a panel of people for the teaching slot. We're just going to have a, a panel uh, of three or four people who are going to just kind of answer questions, anything you have about prayer. And if you've got some questions about unanswered prayer that you want specifically to look into, then why not come along to that? It can be anonymous. We're going to be texting in answers, out questions if you like. But come along this evening, 6.30. I really recommend it. I'm really sure it's going to be a really good example. Uh, so a really good place where we can wrestle through this together. But as I say, to finish, I just want to encourage us to recognise three things about living in the now and the not yet. So firstly, recognise that it still hurts. It still hurts. You know, we've thought about a theological response uh, as to why prayers are answered and why others aren't, but that doesn't stop it hurting. You know, this week I, I got in got in touch with a friend of mine just to check something out and it turns out that he's uh, battling cancer at the moment and he's been a mentor to me in the past and he's a really really wonderful man of God but you know what that just still hurts when you find out that of course we all know that hurts and a theological answer is just not going to solve it it's not going to make it all better sometimes as Christians we can try and kid ourselves that, that because we have Jesus because we have a God who works in and through suffering that actually all of life is rosy But that is a lie. 
That is, it's true that that is, you know, that God works through suffering, but it's a lie to say that it's, everything is easy. Living in the tension of the now and the not yet, it hurts. And sometimes Christians beat themselves up because they think, oh, if only I just had more faith and believed God more and more, then actually this would, all the pain would go away. So we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with Christians around us. But more importantly, we need to be honest with God. Take that pain, take the hurt of the now and the not yet to God and let him minister in that place. Secondly, big thing to remember, remember the end of the story. Remember our hope. See, that great encouragement for us is that we know the end of the story. We have Revelation 21 and 22, which give this depiction of heaven and earth fully coming back together, a place where there is no pain, no death, no sickness, no suffering. If you're here this morning and you're praying for healing, you're asking in Jesus' name, Lord, just heal me, I can guarantee you that you will be healed. I can guarantee it. I just can't guarantee the timescale. I can't guarantee whether it will be this side or that side of eternity. Because I've read the book. I've read to the end of the book. I've read the end of the story. I know that Jesus is coming back again. We have a great hope because we know that, you know, that, that all things are going to be redeemed. That's how the early church survived such awful persecution they went through. They saw Jesus ascend and they went, he's coming, and they knew he was coming back again. And they went through immense suffering, but they persevered because they knew the end of the story. Finally, remember that God is still for us, with us, and in us. Remember that everything I've said about God working in suffering is completely true. I wouldn't be a Christian if he didn't, because it is God working firstly through suffering of the friends I witnessed, and then through my own suffering and tough times that actually I've been able to persevere. God is at work, and, and he does bring healing. It might not be complete healing. It might not be physical healing. Sometimes it's emotional and, and spiritual healing. I could share a bunch of testimonies of people, and I'm sure you have a similar stories or know similar stories, of people who just, like we heard from, about Martin Brown, who just in the midst of worry and pain and suffering just declare the glory of God and the love of God because he's at, the, at work in them. But I want to finish with an odd encouragement, perhaps. That comes from a mother superior, uh, an important nun, uh, who was the spiritual director of a Christian writer and speaker who I like. And at this point, I want to point to my, um, my addition to our prayer wall. And it, you probably can't see it, but it's at the bottom. It's a bag of fertilizer. <laughs> um, and it's, the reason is, is because this mother superior, she spoke about how God is at work in suffering. And it's, it's as this person, she was going through a really tough time. And this amazing woman of God just spoke truth. She said, God is an expert at taking the shit of our lives and turning it into manure. Now that's, I'm sorry if that offends people, but it's real. Like, this is real life. God takes the worst things in life and turns it into good, life-giving, revitalizing stuff. If you're in the now and the not yet, there's a tension but just, uh, just do the thing, these three things. Recognize the pain. Bring it to God. Remember the end of the story. And remember that God is still at work. Bringing the kingdom of God nearer and nearer to us. And somehow he is making all things good for those that love him. Can I pray for us?
Lord Jesus, thank you that you are here. Thank you that we live in a time of the now. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit is here with us, present. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's in pain and suffering at the moment. Lord, we lift them to you now. We think of our loved ones. We lift them to you now. We pray for healing. But Lord, as we live in the not yet as well, we just ask that you would be at work. Help us to be a church that supports one another through this, this not yet part of the kingdom. The pain. Lord, help us to have a hope in you. A hope in your future. A hope in your kingdom. And Lord, just I pray that you would be redeeming all things. Working in our and through our suffering. In Jesus' name. Amen.